0: Well, my goal now is just not to mess up this wonderful service with my terrible preaching. (laughs) Turn to Luke chapter 8. Has it not been an awesome service? I'm going to teach on Jesus raises a daughter this morning. And to get us thinking well on this, instead of name that tune, we're going to play Finish That Famous Quote. There's part of... For most of a famous quote that will be up here, and I'm going to have you to finish it. The only thing we have to fear is. Fear. Fear. What counts is not the size of the dog in the fight, but. The the dog. Within the course of the Bible are the. Answers to all the problems men face. That God would give us a present that would say that again. Little League baseball is a very good thing because it keeps the blank off the streets. Parents. Parents. (laughs) (laughs) Yogi Berra was a very wise man. Blank is the mother of invention. Necessity. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love, love can do that. Give me, a, give a man a fish and? Don't eat for a day. Eat for a day, you teach a man to fish. He'll lose his wife. He'll, He'll lose his wife. Vicky said this one's true? Teach a man to hunt and <laughs> you'll lose your husband. All right, um, a penny saved and yeah. a penny earned. You can't always get you want? what you want. Idle <laughs> hands are the devil's workshop. My granny used to say it all the time. Hell hath no fury like a storm gone. scorn. Gone. Many people die at twenty-five and aren't buried until they're seventy-five. <laughs> you can't make an omelet without eggs. Eggs. breaking a few eggs. I'll if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. Right. For by grace you have been saved through, Amen. therefore being justified by, Amen. but the righteous shall live by, Amen. without blank it is impossible to please God. Amen. Notice something? The Bible has a lot to say about children. The Bible has a lot to say about faith. We're saved by it. We're justified by it. The righteous live by it. It's impossible to please God without it. If you think about it, faith stands, if you will, like two gigantic bookends from one end of the Bible to the other. For in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, some 20 times, repeatedly says, by faith, by faith, by faith. Now do you think faith is important? You think God is concerned with faith? So here's the big question. What kind of faith then is God looking for? When I had the privilege to coach Matthew's uh, diamondback team coach pitch, we went 16-0 that year, despite my coaching. And I told them this. I said, boys, we want hits, runs, and outs. And they said, yes, sir. And you know what I did? I said, go do it, right? No. I said, we want hits, runs, and outs. They said, yes, sir. I said, here's how you do it. And then they went out and accomplished it. God is very much the same. We're saved by faith. We're live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And He doesn't just say, now go out and do it. He says, here's what it looks like. And no better where do we see that than here in... The story of Jairus. Jesus has been teaching His disciples, as we've said, through the lab of life, and He's going to teach them what kind of faith He's looking for. So we're going to look at this story in five parts, but we're going to hone in on twelve aspects of faith, for it should be our desire to live by faith. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke 8. I'll skip some of it because we read it last week. Starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear, Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, and he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened." Word of God to the people of God preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of faith. And Father, by that faith we have been saved. And Father, by it we can be the righteous who then live by it. And Father, please you. I pray that for each person that is here today that you would give us ears to hear. Mm -hmm. Father, what the Spirit says to the churches today and how we can live by faith through this story of how your Son, Jesus, raised a daughter from the dead. Father, we thank you for all that has been accomplished in this service so far. We look forward to, Father, as you now preach your word through me, that, Father, you will continue to just bring glory to your Son who died for us. And, Father, through our belief in him, we will never, ever die but live with him forever. It's in Jesus' one and for Precious name we pray. Amen. So the first part is the desperation. That's verses 40 to 42. I'm going to give you the five parts kind of to break down the story. Well we're gonna look like I said at twelve aspects of faith. So remember last week I said Jesus had delivered the Garrison Demonite, and then the people asked him to leave, so he obliged. I said Jesus simply does not stay where he is not wanted. And so he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a great crowd, sees his boat off in the distance, and they head to the lake shore. And no more has Jesus stepped off the boat and they're all crushing him. We said that those words there, literally the sum total is that they were just crushing him, how many people were thronging about him. And it's then that Luke introduces us to a gentleman who has pushed his way to the front of the crowd and he comes face to face with Jesus. And we look there in verse 41, his name was Jairus. And we're told he's a ruler of the synagogue. So this is not your average Joe Israelite. He was the synagogue president. And his duties were to conduct the synagogue worship, select those who would lead the prayer and read the scriptures and preach the message. And flip back to uh, Luke 4, Because this is not the first time that he and Jesus have had an encounter. If you remember when we preached this, it says in verse 31, He, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and He was teaching them on the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue, Jairus synagogue, and they were astonished at His teaching. For His word possessed authority, and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And if you remember, Jesus rebuked him and uh, the demon came out. So maybe he still had a little bit of a sour taste over Jesus interrupting his church service. Maybe just like everyone else that was of the religious elite, he was, uh, had an increasing, growing disdain for Jesus. If you remember as we've looked, there's this increasing uh, disdain for the, the religious leaders had for Jesus. But since that time, that encounter back in Luke 4, Jesus has become more and more and more famous. I mean, he's to the, the uh, matter of rock star. Reports of him have grown. If you remember in uh, 7, 1 to 10, he healed the centurion's servant, one that was near death. And then in 11 to 17, he raised one from death, the widow's son, at Nan. And so no doubt Jairus had heard of this, maybe even seen it with his own eyes. But now the shoe was on his foot. And critical illness had come to his home. And so maybe some of the religious leaders, some of his big friends said, Now are you going to go beg that unlearned rabbi, that self-proclaimed messiah that caused a ruckus in your synagogue to heal your daughter? But he was clearly a man who could swallow his own pride. In his hour of greatest need, he did just that and he comes to Jesus for help. Now you think he's there to pay his respects? You think he's there to greet an old friend? What's his motive for coming to Jesus? Desperation. That's it. Desperation. Jesus is his last hope. Look at how desperate the situation was. Verse 42 points it out to us. He had an only daughter. I mean, some of us have multiple children. Imagine if you had one child and Jesus, you you know that they're severely sick to the point of death and they're going to be taken and what would you potentially say? Take my life, not theirs. Amen? Amen? And so then we're told that she's 12 years of age. We would call her what? Just a kid. But a woman at 12 was marriageable. And so life was going to be snuffed out too early as someone said what should have been the morning of life had become the night. And then we're told that she was dying. Mark says she was at the point of death. I mean, this is a life and death situation. And then we're told Jairus is a ruler. Think about the irony of that. The powerful was now powerless to do anything about his only daughter who in the the prime of her life is going to potentially die. And so he makes it through the crowd, heartbroken, and he falls upon his knees before Jesus. The Greek word there means to fall down before someone that would be a high-ranking person or divine being. And so imagine the scene. Think of how Jairus would have been dressed. Now think of how Jesus would have been dressed. And so here you have the well-to-do synagogue president utterly humbling himself before the carpenter from Nazareth. And Mark, if you look at Mark 5.23, tells us what his plea was to Jesus. He implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Luke tells us the intensity. The word implored there is the imperfect tense. It means he begged and begged and begged and begged. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus, come. Jesus, you've got to come. She's dying. Please, please, I'm begging you, come, Jesus. And you see, no hesitation because the next thing we read is Jesus went. So three things to take from this part here as far as faith that pleases God. First is desperate faith. Jairus' faith at this point is one that is simply motivated by desperation. Have you ever been there, done that, got the t-shirt? Have you ever come to Jesus simply out of desperation? I have. That was my salvation experience. When I was at the end of my rope and desperate, I came to the Lord. He completely humbled me and broke me down. And when you're laying on your back, the only way you got to look is what? Up. But you know what? Jesus still honored that ill-found faith. Do you read that He said, Now Jairus, you're coming for the wrong reason. So come back tomorrow, go, you know, get your motives straight, and then you come back and then I'll go with you. Do we read that? You know, when I cried out to Jesus at 167 Lee Street out of desperation and potentially from the wrong motive, do you think Jesus said, Now Buffy, you're going to have to come back tomorrow and get saved. We should praise God that even with our faith, sometimes when it's from the wrong motive, Jesus still honors it. Second was humble faith. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6 said that God opposes the proud. It's easy to think we can handle life ourselves. Amen? As I've told my children, when we had y'all, uh, the hospital did not give you an instruction book on how to raise this child, did they? But God did give us an instruction book, and it's here. But we a lot of times think, well now God, I've got this all figured out, and i got this handled, and I can take care of this. And then what we have to do is we have to bring Him back like a kid that's tore its toys up and it's in 50 pieces, something that was worse than when it was before. Amen? And so we need to be able to swallow our pride and come and just ask. The Scriptures say, ask and you shall receive. But guess what? There's no receiving without asking. And third is elementary faith. Think about the centurion. What did he say? Jesus, you just what? Speak the Word. The woman says, if I just go up and so much is him, then I'll be healed. Jairus says, now Jesus, you're going to have to come where she's at, and you're going to have to lay hands on her, and then she'll be healed. You know, faith often doesn't have it all figured out, does it? But Jesus meets us where we're at, and so that's what he does here with Jairus. Alright, going on, look at verse 43 to 48. We talked on this last time, but Jairus and Jesus set out, and the going's not easy. They're pressed. They're squeezed from every angle. It's a slow go. I said it was basically uh, about like Neyland Stadium in the third quarter when everybody mass exodus because the balls are losing and everybody's squeezed together. You get the image of it. And so imagine what Jairus is thinking, saying, or doing. Do these people even know who I am? People. Move. My daughter is dying. Maybe he's kind of pushing to get people out of the way. Maybe the disciples, probably Peter, even got in on the the action, right? Hey, people, move it, move it. Messiah coming through. Y'all got to get out of the way. But think if you were in Jairus' shoes. Wouldn't you have been in full-blown panic attack mode? Your daughter is dying and people will not get out of the way. We get angry, like I said last week, when we ain't got nowhere to go and people run off in the traffic in front of us. Imagine your child is dying and everybody's running off in the traffic in front of you. I, I, he's probably thinking, are we ever going to make it? And that's bad enough. And then this woman slows everything down and brings it to a grinding halt. And in a minute, he's probably going to be tempted to say, you know, if you hadn't brought your 12 year old problem that Jesus could handle tomorrow then my daughter wouldn't have died. But what he was going to learn is God is never in a hurry, but He's always on time. Amen? This woman had been sick for 12 years. Why did, Jesus, why did God allow her to be sick for 12 years before He healed her? Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And part of that was people going to be healed. He said that. And so God was going to use her as one of the ones He would heal to prove He was the Messiah. Look at Galatians 4, 4-5. to But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive adoption as Sons, the fullness of time at exact the right moment in time Jesus came and at the exact right moment she was healed of this illness for 12 years think about what Jairus maybe thought turn to John 11 Jairus is probably thinking you know if this woman had not taken up 10 minutes of our time Jesus would have made it there in time and my daughter would have been healed do you remember somebody else who had said something very similar? Martha. John eleven twenty one. 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But here's faith. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so the big point here is expectant faith. One of the hardest things in my own life has been waiting on and understanding God's time. And sometimes I feel like I'm not even on God's clock. Well, I'm not. We often struggle to understand God's timing. I think it's one of the hardest things related to our faith is accepting God's timing for things. What does Isaiah 40, 31 say? Those who wait on the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has made everything beautiful, what? In its own time. Alright, so next is the declaration. Jairus likely thinks, finally, Jesus is done with this woman, and now we can get on to something really important. Not being sick for 12 years. You know, hello, my daughter is dying. And so the words are fresh out of Jesus' mouth. Look at verse 49 while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said. So Jairus looks up and he probably sees a good friend. Someone from his house that's pushing towards him in the crowd, and his heart sinks. Because have you ever seen somebody come to deliver you bad news? And there's no way possible that the news that they're about to tell you, that you don't already see it on their face. And so look at what he says Your daughter is dead. The verb there is perfect tense and it's in an emphatic position. It's this, your daughter is dead and it's over. Final. I mean, I can't imagine. Now I'm going to tell you, I have been in this unenviable position many times on the other side of it. I can still recall last summer in Covington, And that 16-year-old boy that was hit by a car and me standing in that living room and me having to tell that mother that her child was dead and then her to start screaming and weeping. I've never been told this about one of my children and I pray to God it never happens to me. I pray it never happens to you. But I cannot even begin to fathom what Jairus felt like. His knees had to buckle. And just his breath went out. He, he probably felt like he was going to pass out. I mean, this is every parent's worst nightmare. A tsunami of emotions must have hit him like a brick. That's bad enough, but look at what his friend tells him. He says, Hey, your daughter's dead. Now don't trouble Jesus anymore. I put in my notes with friends like that. Who needs enemies? Amen? <laughs> the word there in the Greek literally means to skin alive. Don't extremely annoy, harass Jesus anymore. I mean, am I the only one that finds this bizarre and strange that he would say that? I mean, I thought of it like this. Me, you know, in the office saying, Now ma'am, your husband's dead, but I've got very important stuff to do. Do not annoy me anymore. I've got to go to the next room. That's what it would be like. So a couple aspects of faith here. Number five, confident faith. Why do we imagine that our prayers and our requests for God to intervene are an imposition on Him? How do we think that some way, somehow, God has got better stuff to do, bigger fish to fry? But we do, don't we? Have you ever left yourself off of the prayer list when you really needed it? Have you ever not taken something to God in prayer because you didn't really want to impose on Him? Do you think that's how God views our prayers? Hebrews 4, 16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Bring it to Him. Number six is discerning faith. Where do you think this command don't trouble Jesus came from? The pit of hell. Because John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to cast God as too busy to worry with you. And too busy to worry with what your needs are. And so we need to have a faith that listens and understands when it's, God truly speaking, and when it's the devil trying to talk to you. So Jesus is standing near enough. He hears the news as it comes. I imagine that what he did is he immediately reached out to Jairus. He didn't just reach out to him in word, but he reached out to him in deed because as we've said, love is a verb, it is an action word. And when my wife needs love, when I'm to love her as Christ loved the church, that's not just to tell her that I love her. And so I imagine as Jairus almost buckles under this, that Jesus at least reaches out and grabs him by the shoulder. I think maybe even brought him in and hugged him and wept with him and told him, don't fear, only believe she'll be well. The word there, don't fear, in the Greek means to stop something you're already doing. Jesus knows that him being told she's dead is bad enough, but when he then gets to the home and he sees everybody weeping and wailing and the the professional mourners that are there, he knows that it's going to be a load on his heart. (coughs) Maybe even the reason he delayed. Why do you think there was a delay here? I think part of it was to teach Jairus something about faith. He says, "...only believe." That's the aorist tense. That means right now, in this very moment, do it. It's urgent. Think about Jesus probably saying, Jairus, why did you even come to me in the first place? Why did you come? Because you had heard the reports. Didn't you believe that I was able? Wasn't it faith that caused you to push through that crowd? So don't stop believing now. Plus, you just saw what I did with a woman that no doctor could heal and had actually only made her worse for 12 years. You know I'm able. The line in the sand is not, is Jesus able? The line in the sand is, will you, Jairus, believe? The line in the sand still today for you and I, brothers and sisters, is not, is Jesus able? The line is, will you believe it? You've got cancer. Is Jesus able? That's not the line in the sand. The line in the sand is, will you believe that He can heal you? That's right. He has told us, you take the Gospel to the whole creation. Well, how can a little podunk country church do that? That's not the question. The question is, will you believe it and then actually put legs on your faith and go do it? And so seven is courageous faith. What's the opposite of fear? Faith. But even solid faith sometimes buckles, doesn't it? That's why we are told that you can do all things through who? Christ, who strengthens me. So don't be afraid. Number eight, stubborn faith. Jairus could have said, well, you're right. There's no point going with you, Jesus. My friend was right. You know, I'm sorry that I bothered you. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to bury my daughter now. No! He didn't do that. He continued on with Jesus. He didn't believe the report she was dead. He didn't believe when he gets to his home and everybody's playing the flutes and the women are wailing. He didn't believe that. He marched right past it. He didn't believe the whispers of Satan that you're really stupid for believing that this Jesus guy really even wants to mess with you little less is able to do anything about it. He marched right through that voice. Look next at the devastation. Verse 51. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. So they come to his home and really the finality of it must have really slammed into his heart because the word there, wept, and the word bewailed means to weep aloud. You ever seen somebody truly weep I told somebody this week in the office it's this kind of weeping where you just can't even get a breath and you got snot pouring out you know, you'll understand that's the kind of weeping. The word bewail there means to cut so much pain that it literally cuts to the heart. And so Matthew tells us that there were flute players in the crowd already. I've often told my wife that I want a black funeral. Because I do not want my life... Hey, if any of y'all come up at my funeral and say, don't he look good? I'm coming back. I don't believe in ghosts, but I'm coming back to home. I don't look good and I don't look natural. I'm laying in a casket. So I don't want anybody coming up and just, uh-huh. I want a celebration of my life and what Jesus did through my life. Amen? Amen. And white people, y'all bury people too fast. They're not even cold. Before you put them in the ground, I want to be good and dead. So, black people, they take a week. White people take two days. Jewish people just bury them the same day. And some say, well, this was a resuscitation, it wasn't a resurrection. Baloney. Look at what it says in verse 53. They knew she was dead. And then in verse 55, her spirit returned. I thought this is kind of like the Wizard of Oz corner. He comes out and says, she's not only merely dead, she's most sincerely dead. She is dead beyond a shadow of a doubt. And what does Jesus say? He says, don't cry. If I tell you not to cry, I just told you not to cry, but I didn't really can't do anything to back it up. Jesus tells you don't cry, He can do something to back it up. Amen? Amen. And so look at what The people do. They laugh at him. Man, (laughs) what a great physician you are. You don't even know when somebody's dead. What was the problem? Twofold. One, their faith did not allow for the supernatural, the miraculous. Do you know the Sadducees? They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in anything supernatural. Supernatural. They did not actually believe in angels and they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. That's why they came and tested Jesus with regards to that. And you know today little has changed. There are still many people today whose faith does not allow for the supernatural and the miraculous. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Two, it's a perspective issue. Jesus didn't make a misdiagnosis. He had his purple sunglasses on. And what is death to you and I, for Jesus is no more than sleep. Do you know that you and I, New Testament believers, are never said to die but to sleep? Now do you fear going to sleep tonight? Then why do we fear death? I tell you I have been doing medicine for 20 years. And y'all may throw me out and y'all may get upset when I say this, but so be it. But one of the things that chaps me the most are Christians who fear death. The Apostle Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is not a question. Y'all might be sad when I'm laying looking natural in that casket, but glory hallelujah, I ain't going to be sad. I'm going to be dancing around with Jesus and I'm going to be up there having conversation with Nanny Ruth Cook and I don't know if there's country ham in heaven, but the first thing I'm going to do is have that lady cook me some country ham and red-eyed gravy. It's going to be glory for me. It's glory for us when we die. We shouldn't fear death. The Scriptures say our body departs and is with Christ in Philippians 1.23 and 2 Corinthians 6.8. We're absent from the body and present with the Lord. And here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to say the same thing to you and me on resurrection day that He did to this girl. Child, arise. He's going to say, Marty, get up. Amy, get up. Evan, get up. Danielle, get up. Glory, hallelujah, that He's going to say that. And boom, you're going to get up out of that grave. Amen. It's not a question. If He's able. What did He ask Martha? Do you believe this? He is the resurrection and the life. If you believe in Him, you will not die. Do you believe this? If you don't believe that this morning, then you need to get saved. Because your only hope after death is Jesus Christ. And so look, they say this... He's crazy. Jesus, what do you mean she's sleeping? And so it tells us there, Jesus allowed no one to enter but Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. There's lots of ideas on this. Well, maybe the room was too small. Well, maybe he didn't just want to be sensational about what he was about to do. Maybe he didn't want the little girl when she woke up then there to be a hundred people staring at her. But you know what I think why he threw them out? Because he threw unbelief out. And if that's the case, there's a lot of Christians Jesus would give a severe spanking to for our lack of faith. <coughs> Alright, number nine, quickly, miraculous faith. Does your faith allow for the supernatural miraculous? See, I want to scale this one back because here this is where the, it's going to really hurt. You frozen chosen Baptist. We as Baptist? Baptists, Dr. Easley asked, me said, why are you a Baptist? I said, well, I guess because a Baptist church came and laid a, a flyer on my doorstep for VBS and then through all of that I got saved at a Baptist church. But as I have matured in my faith, the reason I'm a Baptist is because I believe that Baptists are the most doctrinally sound. But the one thing I have against us as Baptists is we are frozen chosen. We do not allow for the supernatural and the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't know if we have gifts of prophecy and healing today. I don't know. i got to sit on my hand. I can't do the window washer. I can't get up here and praise the Lord. I can't just sing and shout. And that was what David was trying to get us to do earlier. Does your faith allow for the miraculous? It should. We ought to not only be leading the way as far as Baptists go and far as this is the line in the sand doctrinally, but brothers and sisters, when you come to a Baptist church, you're going to get your praise on Number four, or number ten is purple sunglasses faith. we got to get our purple sunglasses on. Because if you see death from man's perspective, you're going to fear it. If you see death from God's perspective, then this is what happens. When you sit right in this room, right in here, right in here, And you tell a man that he's got leukemia. His blood count is off the chain. And you say, I'm sorry to tell you this, and I know he thinks in my face and in my being, you might die. But what purple sunglasses faith does is it says, you know what? I'm going to beat this, but if I don't beat it, I'm going to beat you to Jesus, and I'll meet you up there when you get there, son. That's what purple sunglasses faith does. Brothers and sisters, we have got to get our sunglasses on and we have got to see things from God's point of view. If we would see things from God's point of view, why does He give you breath? Why does He give you money? Why does He give you a car to come to this church and hear a nice word? It's not for you. Because he's trying to get a lost and dying world to be saved because he has a group of people that have been purchased by his son and he wants to present them to his son for his glory. Yeah, that's right, man. I mean, think about it. If I look at a painting, you know what I see? Nothing. Y'all don't take me to an art show. Vicky and I have never been on date night to an art gallery. Don't plan on it. What's that look like? I don't know, a bunch of lines. But to some people, it's a masterpiece. Don't take me to the symphony either. All I'm going to hear is a bunch of music sounds the same, song after song. But the trained ear, David, can pick out every single instrument in that symphony, can't they? Jesus was training Peter and James and John's faith in that moment. And that's what He does to us too. If we'll get our sunglasses on. Finally, the, de- the destruction. Why do I entitle it that? Because you know what Jesus has done to death? He's destroyed it. Amen. Can you picture this? They're weeping and wailing. Some of them are laughing. And you know what Jesus does? He shuts it out. He closes the door. He says unbelief is out there. And then... It's silent. I think he kneels down at her bed. He takes her by the hand, which, oh, by the way, would render Jesus ceremonially unclean. But you know what? What Hebrews teaches us is that Jesus is superior to the Mosaic law. Mm-hmm. Right. What the scriptures teach us is that mercy is better than rules and rituals. And the gospels teach us that Jesus is compassion. And he speaks a tender word into her ear. Catch this. You know how her mother would have woke her up in the mornings? Not. You know, ask my son how dads wake you up in the morning. Flip the light on. Boy, get up! Mm-hmm. I said get up. Dad, I'm getting up. No, you won't, I won't be on the floor. Here's how mamas do it. Come on, baby. Get up. Get <laughs> up. But you see, we lose sight. We talk about God being our Father, and He is. But do you know all the way back even to the Old Testament that the words there that talk about the attributes of God talks that He's like a mother to us as well. And He says this, He says, Child, arise. The same word that she would have heard coming awake from a night's sleep, Jesus said, you come out of that because it's not really death, it's sleep. And you think she got up and staggered around like a calf out of a newborn gate? No, it said immediately she got up and walked around, began walking glory, hallelujah. If Jesus says it, it happens, amen? Amen. I mean, you think about today's faith healers, what do they do? They run around bopping folks on the head, you know, and doing this and throwing their arms and hands. Jesus just says, child arise, miracle. So then the strangest thing, why does Jesus command them, To give her something to eat. You think she jumped up and said, I'm famished, where's a burger? Why did he do that? Three things. One to prove the miracle. This wasn't just a spirit that wouldn't require food, it was a flesh and blood person. What did Jesus say whenever he was resurrected? Do you have some fish here? Bring it to me and let me eat it. Why? Because he wanted to show them that he wasn't a ghost or a spirit, he's alive flesh and blood person and you and I one day when we're resurrected from the dead because of our faith in Him we will be the same second I think it really steadied the mother think about what she went from the pain of grief to oh my goodness my daughter's up running around the room walking she's about to faint and what do you mamas like whenever you're stressed out something to do. Now, I'm not a a woman, obviously, but I've been married to one for 17 years, and I know y'all like stuff to do whenever you're stressed out and nervous. And I think we see here, even in Jesus raising her up and saying, give her something to eat, give the mama something to do, to calm her nerves and steady her. He's not only caring for the girl, He's caring for the mama. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus, compassion. And then I think it's care for the girl. You ever been really, really, really sick? What happens for days before? You don't eat. I'm sure she was hungry. And so then look finally at Jesus' instruction. He says, hey, don't y'all go tell this to anybody. Now come on, Jesus. I mean, she's dead. Everybody knows she's dead. There's professional mourners that have already been hired. Everybody knows. So why would he charge them not to tell? A couple of reasons. One, the more the word spread, the more he was mobbed. I love what Dr. Box said, now listen to this. He said, the crowds wanted favors, not truth. Healing, not conversion. He does not need to be raising people on a daily basis. The type of commitment that will be required of them, listen, should they follow him, is one of suffering, not comfort. Do you think that these brethren had comfort or suffering in the last week when they were in Nicaragua? I can answer the question for you because I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And if Marty will get up and tell you, I should not have preached that as a devotion. Me and God still got some problems over that. When I did the first devotion that first day, what did I tell everybody? Now we ain't here for a vacation. You're going to suffer. And then the Lord said, yeah, and you're going to get to understand your own words, big boy, because I was the sickest I had ever been on a trip to Africa. Yeah. I had to live out what I taught. Mm-hmm. Second is, Jesus is on the divine timetable. Do you remember when He fed them the fish? Mm-hmm. He then withdrew. Why did He withdraw? Because they were with- coming to make Him king. Messianic expectations were at a feverish pitch. They wanted the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome. And so the more He does, they're just wanting what? Him to come overthrow Rome. He had a divine timetable and He was going to the cross and nothing could interrupt that. So two final things on our faith. Eleven is victorious faith. Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus on three occasions. The first is here. The second is the Mount of Transfiguration. And the third is the Garden of Gethsemane. Campbell Morgan has pointed out, you know what all three of those have to do with? Death. 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 In the garden, Jesus showed what? He was surrendered to death. The mount, He showed that He would be glorified in His death. And here He shows that He's victorious over death. We still need to learn that, that we are victorious over death. 1 John 5, 4-5 says that the way that we are victorious over that is by our faith. Finally, a propped up faith. The woman had a pushy faith. Jairus had a propped up one. He comes to Jesus to heal his daughter. Word comes, she's dead. Jairus' faith goes like the air out of a balloon. And look at what Jesus tells him in verse 50. Don't fear, only believe, and she'll be made well. When Jairus' faith went down, Jesus' faith took over. And so they then he says, okay, I've got this. I'm going to be stubborn in my faith. And he goes forward with Jesus. And then he sees the mourners weeping and wailing. And I imagine his heart just melted like wax again. And look at what Jesus says, verse 52. Don't weep, she's not dead, but sleeping. Jairus' faith goes down, Jesus' faith takes over. And you know what is the significant thing? He does the same thing for you and I. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Y'all have seen the painting of the footprints in the sand? Has there not been times in your life in which you couldn't explain it, but you had a limping, little bitty faith. And when you look back and you were carried through a situation, there was only one set of footprints in the sand, and that was when God and Jesus was carrying you through that situation. Right, man. But if you will just give Him your little bitty mustard seed of faith, He'll prop it up and bring you to the finish line. Amen? Amen and so in closing faith sits like I said like two gigantic bookends and you know who serves as a model of faith I uh, taught on this Wednesday night if you weren't here you missed it and you ought to be ashamed you need to come down and repent but Abraham is a model of faith but you know what we don't even make it out of Genesis 12 without Abraham being a pill he's already lying about Sarah and you know what I told them Wednesday night? I said, that ought to give us great comfort. You know why? Because God ain't looking for perfection, like I told the man this morning. He's looking for disciples who, like Abraham, are willing to walk with Him and follow Him and grow strong in their faith. So I pray that you will take these 12 things and use them for the next years to come, that you would have a desperate, humble, elementary, expectant, confident, discerning, courageous, stubborn, miraculous, Purple sunglass, victorious, propped up faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for what has been done in this service this morning. Father, I'm thankful that you brought me to your house today for this service because, Lord, you know I needed it. I know there's many of us that needed the encouragement that we have gotten here today. Father, through just uh, the times in which we celebrated anniversaries, in which we celebrated the gift of life that you have given us. Father, the, the gift you've given us to be parents, through the songs in which we sing and truly sing them from our heart. And Father, through your word in which you teach us how we as the righteous can live by faith. And so we thank you so much for this service you've given us today. We pray as we come to the end of the service in this time of invitation that you would just bless it and honor it. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you something. You think it's easy, week in and week out, labor to stand up in this pulpit and preach. But do you know why I do it? Because I believe this book is 110 bazillion percent true. And if this book ever stops being true, then I'm going to stop preaching. And it ain't never going to do that. But you know what this book says? Listen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Amen. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, here it comes. Why I labor to stand up here, Jimmy labors to stand up here, why Kevin has labored to go 40 times over overseas and risk his life is because we know 110 bazillion percent faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Amen and God has given us the directive to go and preach this gospel to the whole creation. And so the big question this morning is have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save you? Have you called on the name of the Lord as it says there in Romans 10, 13? Have you admitted to God that you're a sinner? Have you believed Christ paid for those sins? That He was raised from the dead and everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him is freely justified and stands right before God today. Not because you're a good person. Not because you've done some good stuff. But because of what He did in His righteousness. And then have you ever confessed that publicly? Your trust in Him as Lord and Savior because Jesus made it clear if you do not confess Him you, He will not confess you before the Father. And so, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, if you have never put all your eggs in one basket, all your hope for the next life, and you to stand right before God in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, come and receive Him this morning. Or whatever other decision you need to make, if the Lord is calling you, here as members of Crossway Baptist Church, or if you have been saved, you've never followed through with believer's baptism, whatever God is speaking to you this morning, as we stand and sing, listen to Him. Let's stand, page 308. Ask me not, O gentle Savior, my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by.